Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Bill Werner on mental illness in Minnesota. Professional wrestling icon Greg Gagne remembers the late Bobby the Brain Heenan and former Viking Chad Greenway. But first, many Minnesotans are on edge following the massive data breach at Equifax. MNN's Tasha Radel visits with the financial expert to find out what you can be doing to better protect your personal information and finances. That's right, Scott. If you have a credit report, there's a good chance that you're one of the 143 million American consumers whose sensitive personal information was exposed in a data breach at Equifax, one of the nation's three major credit reporting agencies. Now, the breach lasted from mid-May through July. The hackers accessed people's names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and in some cases, driver's license numbers. They also stole credit card numbers for about 209,000 people and dispute documents with personal identifying information for another 182,000 people. Now, there are steps to take to help protect your information from being misused. And here to go over a few of those is personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Welcome, Gene. Can you share a few of your top tips? Absolutely. So as you said, a lot of people were victimized. 143 million files were breached. About half of all adult Americans um, had social security numbers, names, addresses, dates of birth stolen. And that's the kind of information that can really be used to um, create a full-blown identity profile of you and do things like apply for credit or a job or a tax refund in your name. So it's very disturbing. Consumers need to be taking some precautions, some of them free, some of them cost a little bit of money. So to start, you need to be checking your credit report, which you can do for free three times a year at annualcreditreport.com. You need to be opening and actually reading your financial statements from your banks, from your credit card companies, to make sure that there are no transactions there that don't belong to you. That can be a sign that something is awry. You want to make sure your passwords are good, that they're long and strong. And these days, we think a strong password is actually a passphrase where you take four unrelated words and just string them together. Just make sure that you can remember what they are very important on your social networks and your financial institutions in particular. You may want to think about freezing your credit, which you can do with each of the credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion. Some people extend this to the fourth credit bureau, which is a smaller one called Anobis. Um, You'd have to do it with each of them individually. And then if you apply for credit in the future, you'll have to lift the freeze and then reinstate it after you get the credit that you were looking for. In some states, this is free. In some states, it costs 5 to $10. Or if you're not going to take these steps for yourself, you may want to subscribe to a service like a LifeLock, which does credit monitoring and identity monitoring on the front end and offers services on the back end so that if you are a victim, um, they will help you shut the problem down, including a 
hiring attorneys and experts if necessary. And, you know, um, let's say that there's somebody out there who, you know, whose identity has already been stolen. Any advice for them? It seems like once this happens, it's just so hard to, to get things corrected. Any advice? It is really hard to get things corrected. Yes, you've got to open um, a file with the FTC. You've got to actually start a paper trail where you report this as a crime because you're going to need to do that in order to shut things down in many cases. Um, And then go through the process with the credit bureaus, report that you've been a victim of fraud, make sure that there are freezes on your accounts um, as well as once you've been a victim, then you qualify for a seven-year fraud Um, security fraud alert rather than an actual freeze, and it can last for seven years. So many people think that that's a good way to go as well. Um, And and again, it just is a matter at that point of doing whatever you can to try to shut the accounts down and open new ones where you have not been victimized. But it is not an easy process, and it's not a cheap process or a fast process. And, you know, how long should people remain vigilant and really be paying close attention, um, you know, to, to their different financial statements and credit reports, et cetera? Forever. Forever. Here, here's, the, here's the issue. So, so all of this data was stolen, but we're not expecting it to end up on the black market for years. We think that the thieves will actually sit on it for a while until the hubbub dies down, at which point they'll put it on the black market. People don't change their names or their social security numbers or the date, their dates of birth, which means there's no expiration date on the value of this information. In fact, some people believe it gets more valuable the longer you hold on to it. Um, so this is not this is not a one and done. This is a, a habit that you have to get into now and pretty much keep up with for the rest of your life. Thanks again to my guest Jean Chatsky, a personal finance expert and host of Her Money Podcast. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Lessening the stigma associated with mental illness is the primary focus of this weekend's 5K walks in Rochester and Minneapolis, hosted by the Minnesota chapter of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. The goal is to raise awareness in what is billed as a celebration of hope. MNN's Bill Werner talked with NAMI Minnesota's Sue Abderholden. We really want to make sure that people know it's okay to talk about mental illness, that they are not alone, that there is you know, help and resources out there. It really is just a wonderful way to get together and say, you know, we're, we're going to talk about mental illnesses. Do you know how many years you've been doing these walks? This will be our 11th year. Our 11th. So okay. It feels yeah. like a long time. Yeah, it's, it's getting to be an established institution. Uh, no, no question about that. Uh, now, can we talk a little bit about what's on the to-do list? I know we are hearing, at least on the federal level, kind of, some rumblings about possibly changes in mental health coverage or loosening the, the requirements there. Um, tell us about that, if you will, from a federal level and also from a state level. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the things that people are going to be thinking about, perhaps, when they're on this walk? 
Well, I think on the federal level, there's two things. Uh, one is any proposed changes to Medicaid. Um, Medicaid is a huge payer of mental health services. Uh, Medicaid expansion, which allows people who are single and low income to go into Medicaid, um, really has allowed a lot of people, um, hundreds, thousands of people in Minnesota to access mental health care for the first time. So we do not want to make it a black grant. Uh, we want it to stay as it is. Um, what we know from black grants is that typically they are cut. And actually one of the things on the chopping block is the mental health block grant. Um, they're, the House is proposing a 25% cut to that grant. Um, and that funds a lot of important things in Minnesota, particularly the first psychotic episode program, which really makes sure that, especially with schizophrenia, which can be a very disabling condition, that we intervene early and intensively to make sure these young people's lives you know, go forward in the right trajectory. So those are kind of the two big things on the federal level. On the state level, you know, when we come back into the next session, um, we really want to look at housing. Affordable, supportive housing is critically important. We want to look at a state law that can actually enforce mental health parity. Um, we need some enforcement provisions. We're looking at actually updating the Minnesota commitment law so that it's, it hasn't been changed in over 15 years. So there's some really outdated language and ideas in there that you know, really need to be changed. Can, and can, then the can, other can I just can I just back you up for just a yeah. second on that one, Sue? Talk a little bit about the commitment law. What what kind of what what's outdated? What needs to be changed? Well, you know, commitment is a very difficult issue because you're really taking away someone's rights and forcing them to get treatment. Um, and sometimes it really is necessary to do that. The person doesn't have any insight. They're really in danger of hurting themselves in particular. And so you want to get them treatment so that they can really see, you know, frankly, what life can be like. But it's a very um, careful balancing act. And there's old language in there, but there's also, we had, we've had in Minnesota what's called an early intervention law, and it has never really worked. And that's when someone, you know, continually gets ill, very ill, um, not any insight, and they're committed over and over again. We don't want to wait till they actually meet the commitment standard. We want to be able to intervene earlier when they have a long history. Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you this, Sue, and, and I... I hesitate to make this a political issue, but in a lot of ways it is. There was so much emphasis uh, on mental health services um, during the Obama administration. I think it's fair to say that there were uh, there was a fair amount of progress made at that time. Would that would that be correct? First of all, um, yes. Although you know, I would say that um, mental health is really crosses party lines. Um, and I joke that we have been supported and screwed by both parties. Um, you know, but it really, um, so many people's lives are impacted by mental illness that we really have had support um, from both parties and been able to make progress. Now, certainly right now on the federal level under President Trump, we are worried, especially, you know, when he talks about cutting Medicaid and making it a black grant, um, or when they talk about eliminating what they call the essential benefits which includes mental health, which would allow people to, once again, buy health plans that don't cover mental health treatment. We think those are all really bad ideas. And the block grants, just so that I'm clear, the proposal would be to make those block grants to states, right? They would. Um, the proposal to make Medicaid a block grant to the states, and that is a very scary thought for us because over and over again we see block grants get cut. Frankly, that's why we haven't been able to build our mental health system is because it started out um, in the, you know, especially late 60s and into the 70s and 80s, it was black grant dollars, and of course those went away. 
That is NAMI Minnesota Sue Abderholden talking about the politics of the fight against mental illness on this weekend when people have been walking for mental health. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Wrestling. All-Star Wrestling is sanctioned by the AWA. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Wrestling fans were saddened earlier this week to learn that legendary bad guy manager Bobby the Brain Heenan had passed away from cancer at the age of 73. Many of us here in Minnesota remember Heenan's antics from the 70s and 80s when he was part of the Minneapolis-based AWA, the American Wrestling Association. One of Heenan's main adversaries was Greg Gagne. I recently chatted with Greg about Bobby the Brain. Well, you know, Bobby's had a struggle here the last few years. He got throat cancer, and, and uh, unfortunately, you know, he made his living by talking and, uh, and being in the ring, and he was one of the greatest of all times. What you saw with Heenan is what you got, and uh, we, weren't, we didn't know how long he would last, but um, I talked to his wife this morning and passed on my condolences, and um, apparently he went peacefully, which was good. It's it's a sad day because we lost uh, probably without a doubt the best talker, uh, the best manager that ever was associated with professional wrestling, and just a really diff- different uh, human being. He was quite a character, both uh, on the set and off the set. So he was he was a special person. I'm sure that you have uh, an almost unlimited uh, amount of stories to tell about Mr. Heenan, but when you think about him uh, on this occasion, what what are some of the first uh, stories that come to mind? Well, there's a lot of stories, but first, you know, he was a, he was a guy that um, there was always there was always some managers that wrestled that uh, were around the country and managed some wrestlers, but nobody could do it like him in our industry. He not only made the people that he managed, but he made the people that they wrestled against. That's how special he was. And when he when he finally when he could finally get him into a match, he was spectacular in the ring. Uh, he was a little bit of a coward, but he was spectacular, and, and nobody could do it better than him. I guess the biggest memory that I have of Bobby Heenan with me is. Uh, he had been interfering in a lot of our matches when Jim and I, my partner Jim Brunsell, were tag team champions or chasing the championship that Bachwinkle and Stevens had. And Bobby uh, was their manager, and he interfered quite a bit. Or, you know, he got you distracted, and, and we either lost the match or disqualified or whatever may have happened in the match. But he always was there instigating everything. So finally I came up with an idea. People had called him the weasel. And I went to Wally Carbo one night, and I said, you know what, I want to get that guy in the ring, and I'd like to get him in a weasel suit match. And Wally looked at me and said, what's a weasel suit? And I said, I don't have any idea. <laughs> but the people call him a weasel, and we know what a weasel looks like. If we could just get a suit, uh, I'll tell you what, I can, if I can't beat him in 10 minutes, I'll put it on. So Wally scratched his head, and he went to his uh, poorly suit maker, and he came up with this suit with a big zipper in the front. It had feet and hands on it. The hands were kind of, you know, just uh, not fingers, but just paws. And they had vinyl on the bottom of them, and it was this big white suit with a big long tail on it. 
So they booked the match in St. Paul, and I got in the ring with them, and I was really fortunate to get to, to beat him in the last couple seconds of the match. And he was forced to put on the weasel suit, which he didn't want to do. So uh, he was stomping around the ring. He took a swing at me, and I ducked and put the sleeper hold on him. And when he went down and he was out, the referee and I put that suit on him and zipped it up. And when he came out of that sleep, it was pretty special to watch his reactions with that suit on. <laughs> and, in fact, last night at 2.30 in the morning, and the WWE must be doing something on Raw tonight for him, because I got a text from Stephanie McMahon. And Stephanie said, I just saw the Weasel Suit match. She said it was a classic. It was one of the most fantastic matches I've ever seen. Inside the ring, obviously, you had an extraordinarily contentious relationship. Outside of the ring back then, did, did you get along with him very well, or did you, did you keep your distance from him? No, I didn't, we, didn't, we, we kept our distance. We kept our distance. You know, we just hear and see all the stuff that he would do. It, he, he was so far out, it was unbelievable. He could irritate people so easily, uh, whether it was the flight attendants or uh, at the airport. On a, a cab driver, we'd see him get out of the cab, and the cab driver's yelling at him, and he's yelling back, and we don't know what he did, but he could get him going. Um, and he had, a, he had a way about him to really throw you off your game. And I, I hate to keep bringing up Denver, but Jim and I were really, we, we had our first big victory in Denver, and people really responded to us. And we're in a match with Bachwinkle and, and Stevens for the championship, and Bobby Heenan is the their their manager. And when you'd come out, this was a fabulous building. It was about fourteen thousand people, and it would just it would pulsate. The building would just be pulsing like drums going, and your adrenaline would just get pumping. And we're so focused on Bachwinkle and Stevens, and you'd always get your instructions from the referee before the match started. And we had a, a ring attendant that would follow everybody down to the ring. He would usually go with us and make sure that. Nobody stole our ring jackets and take them back. And he was a African American. Uh, Van was his name. He was about six two, two sixty, kind of heavy set. And he came to us before the match. He said the promoter Gene Reed would like us to walk out with Bach, Winkle, Heenan, and and uh, Stevens because they're afraid that people be going after him. And I said, hey, no problem. You know, don't worry about us. So we get in the ring and we're getting our instructions, and somebody throws a. a glass of beer at Bobby Heenan and it spills all over the ring and now we're getting our instructions and I mean we just I got eye contact with Stevens and Bachwinkle and I mean it, you can tell you can the intensity you can cut it with a knife and all of a sudden Heenan breaks away from us this van the ring attendant had rolled into the ring and he's got a big rag and he's on his hands and knees and he's scrubbing up the beer and all of a sudden on a clear blue Bobby Heenan starts singing Nobody knows the troubles I was having. And this van kept cleaning up the beer and looking up with those big eyes. And it just broke, it, it just broke our total train of thought on the match. <laughs> and he could do that constantly to people. He was, he was special. Bobby the Brain Heenan will be missed. Thanks so much to my guest, Greg Gagne, for those great memories. Minnesota Matters will return after this. And now to the ring for All-Star Action. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This is the first season since 2006 that Chad Greenway hasn't been wearing a Minnesota Vikings jersey. The former Pro Bowl linebacker from South Dakota by way of University of Iowa retired at the end of last season. Greenway sat down with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm for Minnesota Matters. Well, Chad Greenway, how is retirement treating you? It's good. It's different. You know, obviously, uh, you play football for as long as I did. You, It becomes kind of a part of your life. But for me, um, I'd kind of prepared, planned for moving past it. Um, obviously, we, my wife and I, we have four children. Uh, we're really busy with them. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff going on with our foundation. Uh, so that keeps us really busy. Um, so, you know, retirement's been fun. It's, it's, it's been about like I thought it would be. It's been enjoyable. What have you missed most about the football side of it? Well, I think if you ask it, almost anybody, everybody has the same answer. It's always about the locker room. It's about the guys, not even the guys, the people you're working with every day. You know, much like you know any other profession, you're working with office staff and coaches and secretaries and all different types of people. So uh, just not to be around those folks every day. Um, and then on the locker room, it's just it's just missing that, you know, the guy's locker room. You're walking in, just kind of busting on each other and having that, that mentality of, of uh, some freedom as far as just, like, getting after guys and, and, uh, and having fun. And uh, that's something to definitely miss. Uh, obviously, the competition competition part, you know, I played really hard. I tried to do as well as I could do when I was there. Um, tried to leave it all in the field. And I think for that part, you know, um, I moved beyond it, which is a good feeling. Are you able to go back to Winter Park, uh, hang out, say hi every now and then at least to, to stay in touch? Yeah, you know, the nice part for me is obviously kind of controlling the end of my, my career. You know, play 11 years all in one spot. Um, know the whole know everybody there i mean obviously i was with rick my whole career uh, the gm uh with zimmer obviously towards the end there for a few years so for me it's nice because i can pretty much go in whenever i want you know grab a cup of coffee and, and bs with the guys and and it's and it'd be relatively normal so that's important for me and it was important for me and it was part of my thought process when retiring was you know i want to control this so i can have a good relationship with these folks you know, much like you know kirk fairness down in iowa city i mean i can kind of go down there and, and feel like i'm part of the program still you know because he's still there so uh that's been a really nice feeling as you decompress, do you have an idea? I mean, what's next? You're still a relatively young guy. I mean, I know you said family time is important, yep. but there's got to be other things that are on your mind down the road, if not tomorrow, two years from now, five years from now. Yeah, so we really want to continue to grow our foundation. You know, the one thing we thought about was early in my NFL career was how can we become something more than just football players? My wife and I really wanted to kind of grow something in, that was bigger than that game. And I think for us, um, it's gotten to that point. We've been able to do a lot of nice things for some folks and some families. Uh, we work with a ton of great hospitals. Um, we want to continue to push that. We want, we want that to be something that we can hopefully give on to our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is I do a lot of corporate and public speaking events. So I'm being hired from you know all across the Midwest doing different speaking events. It's something I did and studied at Iowa. Uh, obviously was in front of the camera a lot all the way through my career. Uh, and then I started to grow my, my speaking business kind of maybe four or five years ago. And uh, it's something I enjoy. It's a different angle on it. And, uh, you know, I feel like I got a good story to tell. And, uh, and uh, I think people have enjoyed it. You mentioned your foundation. You had a really cool event uh, where you served as a waiter with a bunch of your former teammates and other celebrities, and uh, I know that that's always a fun night earlier this week. Yeah, so our celebrity server night is always a great night for us. It's a huge it's a huge money raiser for us. We use those funds for all of our different programs that we run. Um, the best part about the Twin Cities is the support we get. You know, we really have so many great corporate sponsors, but also just individuals, just people that come out. And uh, to work with Manny's, you know, obviously everybody who's been there knows about their food or has at least heard about it. Um, to have them put an event on for you, it's it's pretty special. So uh, next year when it comes around, if you hear about it, make sure you get out to it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. Um, let me ask you, you mentioned uh, some things with uh, charity and with hospital. I know uh, the, the on, on campus, the Masonic uh, Children's Hospital, you guys have done a lot there. Did you get a chance to see your alma mater, what's going on with the Children's Hospital there, the, a new tradition? They, they, they 
they built it over the off season, and now the top floor kind of serves as a game day suite where young kids who are in the hospital get to watch the game. Yep. And at the end of the quarter, the players and the fans all cheer. Did you did you see that? Yeah, we were actually down there for the the opener, the Wyoming game. Mm-hmm. So. You know, working with all the hospitals locally in the Twin Cities, obviously they all do such a great job. I think unique there in Iowa City is just the location of the Children's Hospital. So we want to continue to grow our foundation down in Iowa City, and we want to work with that hospital in particular. Um, but I was there the first time they did that, and the first time this is the first year that hospital has been open. And uh, and it was. It was just it was announced on the PA. Everybody looked up. Everybody gave a, gave a wave. And I know it's been a pretty pretty good national story mm-hmm. um, and a feel-good story and one that I think our country, you know, needs, you know, at times like this. So. Um, you know, those kids are fighting a hard battle and for everybody, you know, 70,000 plus to look up and, and give them a wave is pretty cool. Now you, I know are a diehard black and gold Hawkeye, but you have some blood now in the maroon and gold who hopefully someday I'll get to call making some tackles on the radio too, right? Tell us about him. That's right. Yeah. Uh, my cousin, my first cousin, Bailey Schoenfelder, uh, number 43 for the Gophers. Yeah, I was totally against him going to the Gophers, but no, it's, <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a great kid. He's a, he's a smart kid. He's in the engineering program at, at the U of M. Uh, he's a walk-on uh, freshman, redshirt freshman. Um, he's getting some burn on some special teams already, so I'm really proud of him for the way he's worked early on. Um, and I told him just to keep grinding away. You know, I told him just to keep uh, putting his best foot forward. He's a, he's a South Dakota boy like myself. Um, he's got a lot of ability, um, and he's got a unique perspective. He's a really hard worker and a good kid, so I think he's going to be great for the Gopher program. I really do. I think long-term, I think he's going to make some plays for them. Um, you know, but I, the coaches at I were pretty upset with me. I didn't get him to go down there, but I know he's in a good place with Coach Fleck. I mean, he's, he's going to have a good time here. Very good. Enjoy retirement. It's great to chat with you. Thank you. Hey, Beth, thanks for having me. That's former Vikings linebacker Chad Greenway and MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. The Vikings host Tampa Bay at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.